Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. We're so glad to be back with you. Um, I want to share about India and then I'm going to preach and... uh, Who knows what else will happen today, but uh, it's great to be back. We, I just wanna say thank you, Garden Church, for those of you uh, that gave towards this trip, that prayed, that uh, sent a loved one on this trip, or just, you were part of the story. I wanted to share this story, because this was, without overstating it, the most incredible ministry trip I've ever been on. Um, and I, I get to share so many stories, and I think what's gonna have to happen is over the next couple of weeks, I'll have people that were on our team uh, come and share stories as well. But um, we took a trip to India, and uh, we took 11 people from the garden. Uh, we brought one person from St. Mary's Church in London. Um, if you're familiar with John Peters and Chris uh, Jones, they come out from London every year. They're our partner church. And um, five uh, campus pastors from Rock Harbor Church, the church that planted us, they also joined us in India. Um, but we, we stopped in London for a few days where we spent time with our partners there. Or we went to um, various churches on Sunday, preached at another church called King's Cross. A man named Pete Hughes, the brother of Tim Hughes, uh, leads a church there and and we're friends with them, and um, we had just an exceptional time in London where they prayed for us, they encouraged us, they instructed us in the prayer stuff we've been doing for the last five years. But the whole point of the trip was to get to India. And about five years ago, the last time I went to India to visit our partner, Harvest India, and uh, Suresh Kumar, who's been out multiple times, um, five years ago, he basically said, look, you have to come out and bring a team of people from the garden. And that was five years ago, and every time he's come, he's basically pleaded, begged, coerced, uh, all sorts of things to get us to come out. At one point, we were just saying, we're gonna give you a a chunk of money. And he said, look, we don't want the money. We'd rather you come out with a team and just be a part of this this ministry. Um, And so we did. It took three years um, when we said yes. It's taken us three years to finally show up. And we went to India, um, and we said, Suresh, we'll do anything you want. We'll go and do VBS, we'll, we'll do work with the orphanage that you have or the orphanages that they have, the, the elderly homes, the HIV clinics, whatever, whatever you want, we'll do. And he said, what I really want from the garden is for you guys to come and put on a pastor's conference um, and train us, our pastors, in the ministry and power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, he said, I've been around all over, all over Southern California, all over the US with partner churches, and one thing that you guys have to give away is the ministry and the Spirit. Um, And so uh, we said yes, which was crazy. We've never done anything like that. We had no idea what we were doing or what we were getting ourselves into. But the whole point of us going there was to really give away what we've received. And that was that we've learned how to pray um, for people and we we believe in the power of prayer and we were just trying to show that model um, to our brothers and sisters in India. And what happened was amazing. Um, we, We got to experience the power, we got to witness the power of God in ways that were so tangible and so evident um, that our faith has, we've come back as a team, just our faith has just been lifted up. Um, so here are a couple of stories I wanted to share. You, you see these pictures, it's a great selfie, by the way, I thought. Um, that's the pastor's conference, and you can see a massive room, about 500 pastors, um, and there, there are pictures that are gonna go through this. We, we got to serve the Harvest India staff and, and, and bless, there's over 150 staff members they have, and we got to feed them, and we just wanted to come and be a blessing to the ministry. I mean, they have 1,500 pastors and churches they support. They have um, uh, 4,000 orphans. They have um, 600 lepers that they support support as a ministry. Um, this is an elderly home. This is what the elder, uh, elderly home looks like, and um, they support uh, women, m- mainly women, but some men as well, that are dying, and there, there are no, there's no place for them, and so it, they create, uh, this is the, the women there, and also, by the way, this is their prayer ministry team. They, pr- they are the prayer warriors for Harvest India. If there's a reason why it's expanding all throughout India without money or, and with tons of opposition, it's because men and women are praying. This is a leper church for uh, at a leper colony we visited these women and men that have leprosy um, they they know how to worship Jesus I'm just going to say that they challenged any type of worship that we have they um, they're amazing this is a man with leprosy he had no fingers and no toes um, he's super skinny I'll share about that anyways so we went there f- with the purpose of, of doing this conference and and I remember we, we showed up jet lagged 
we were exhausted, it was dark, it, was, it smelled differently, the colors were bright and different. We had to sit on this like 10 foot stage and everyone was sitting down below and we show up to this first night and I remember with Rock Harbor and the garden, I remember sitting, getting on the stage and I was like the first one up and I was sitting in the corner and I was looking, um, I was just looking out to the 500 plus people that were there singing in worship going, there's no way this is gonna work. <laughs> I was just terrified. I literally thought, I have to go and preach. It's gonna be translated. We're gonna, I'm gonna tell them to stand up and hold, close their eyes and hold their hands out like this. And like, I'm like, what am I doing? What are we thinking that this will be, they'll receive this? And, um, and so I said, as I said on stage, just completely terrified, I just said, okay, well, at least I modeled for our team and our church risk. Even if you fail, <laughs> you're, still, <laughs> you're still risking, right? So I was like, all right, I did that. I, we spent money, we traveled. I, I said yes to what I heard, but I, and I'm like, God, you just really have to show up. And we, I got up and I preached the first night and um, the receptivity they had for what we were saying was unbelievable. You see, their cultural worldview uh, is really f- comes from Hinduism. So it's the belief that there are lots of gods in this world and uh, they have power over us and the way you can move the gods is, to, um, is only through a priest or a temple. So you have access to the gods through them. And so that kind of infiltrates into the church where the, the only way you have access to Jesus is through the pastor. And so when we started teaching um, these men and women who lots of them live off of a dollar a day or two dollars a day. When we were telling them that they have access to God and that they can pray for each other, that they have direct access to, um, through the Holy Spirit to, to, to pray in ways that things can happen, it was amazing. It was, it was like fire that was started and it just spread and Harvest India said it was the best conference they've ever put on because of what we were doing. One of the pastors had a vision the first night that was there and he came up and shared. He said, I saw um, your team holding a ball and you threw the ball to us and we caught the ball and then we threw it to everyone else. And, and I was like, that's exactly what we're doing here. God gave us something, we, we have it and all we have to do is give that away and now they were being taught a theological approach, a practical approach to learning how to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, I just have to share, lots of stuff happened. Story after story after story of these men and women who were full of shame, feeling unworthy, they came up and shared testimonies of being healed of their shame and unworthiness, that God gave them a brand new identity. People were saying that they experienced the love of God for the first time. Amazing. One woman comes up and she said, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. It felt like lightning shocked me and I was full of depression and darkness and as soon as God filled me, that was gone. Tons of people, I can't even explain this, and it seems like I'm over-exaggerating, I'm not. Lots, dozens and dozens and dozens of people were healed of physical illness. It, it became so apparent that when we would pray for somebody, somebody would be healed. It, it just became so obvious. It was like, at one point, because there was not always a translator for you and them, they would just grab your hand and like put it somewhere, like they're hurting there. So like one woman was like, pray here. I'm like, are you sure you need prayer? You know? It's amazing. Um, neck pain, back pain, um, stomach pain, eye pain. One uh, and just people were just healed. It was just like we didn't we didn't need to pray for it. God just did that. It was like that's what God wanted to do for them. They had such powerful faith and joy and they just it was like of course this is what God's supposed to do it's what the Bible says and they just believed it and we got to watch it and we were encouraged and we even had words of knowledge like one girl on our, our, on our team said there was somebody in the, in the pastor's conference that has been deaf in their left ear and a pastor comes forward he'd been deaf in his left ear for 10 years and I was standing on stage facilitating the ministry time she prays for him and he starts to doing this and they're trying to translate, they get a translator, he was healed of having a deaf ear for 10 years. How amazing is that? Oh, it's okay. That's amazing. What's wrong with you people? I mean, come on, that guy, what, you know, this is what's amazing, is that guy's going back to his village where it's full of Hindus that believe that other gods have power, and he gets to say, my God healed me of this problem, and all of you know I've been deaf, but now I can hear. How awesome is that, amen? That's right. I'm just getting warmed up. 
Uh, the first night I had, I had a particular word for the pastors. I didn't have a lot the whole trip because every time I prayed for somebody, it was like somebody else was praying. They're like, I'm gonna go to him because stuff keeps happening over there. I'm like, fine, go over there. Um, but they didn't do that because I didn't understand what they were saying. So um, they might have said that. But the first night I was like, hey, there's a pastor here. I felt like God said to me, and it was just a thought, there's a pastor that has had stomach issues for a very long time. So I you know, had a, a translator say that to them. One guy comes forward, he's like, that's me. I've had stomach issues for a long time, 12 years in fact. And so I pray for him that night, and he just walks away. I'm like, okay, story of my life, nothing happened, good. I, I prayed, I risked, I modeled it. Well, the last, <laughs> let everyone else do have the fun. Um, the last day, we're doing testimonies, and we have to sh- stop the testimonies because there are so many people sharing. It was like, no, we actually gotta preach now, and people are just story, story after story after story after story of what God was doing, and this guy comes forward, and he says, I was healed immediately when you prayed. It was gone. The pain was gone, um, but I wanted to make sure, so I waited the two other days, and now I can say that for sure God healed me of my stomach pain that I've had for 12 years. That's good news. It was like, I love this story. Uh, we got to go and preach in a village, village churches, and we're talking, uh, this is amazing. I go to a village, this is me right here. Last Sunday, I preach at this church. There are about 125 people um, in a tiny room the size of one of our classrooms. It was hot, they had ceiling fans. We took communion with them. One story about that is when they got communion, they get on their knees, and it takes about half an hour for the pastor to pass out the elements. They get on their knees, they cover their heads, for the women cover their heads, and they started weeping. They started weeping. I'm like, why are they crying? The pastor said to me, because of what Jesus has done for them. As they hold the elements in their hands, weep. And there we were with our brothers and sisters around the world, taking communion. And I, I was totally moved by that. Like, we can come, you know, kind of heartedly to the cross, to the elements, only to realize that it costs Jesus everything for us to stand here delightful in freedom. And our brothers and sisters around the world taught me that. That pastor of that church, we had lunch at his place afterwards. And he says, he says how old are you? I'm like, I'm like, I'm 30. He's like, you're Jesus's age. I'm like, yeah. When he started ministry, I'm like, yep. He's like, how long have you been going? I'm like, five years. He's like, great. How many churches do you have? <laughs> uh, just one. Uh, <laughs> how many do you have? Oh, I've got four. And they're all about this size. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I'll be back next year. Let's see what happens, okay? I'll just give me... <laughs> <laughs> it was just so amazing. It was just like, uh, that's what they expect. They just expect, oh yeah, you're gonna have lots of churches. You're just gonna keep planting. That's what the church does, right? That's what we do. Um, but we were preaching that. That's one of the responses. It was just always packed full of people wanting prayer. We pray for hours and hours and hours throughout the week. Um, but uh, Zach went to the, one of our team members went to another village church where there was about 10 adults and 20 kids and they, they taught him the prayer model and they're praying for each other and Zach has a word for the pastor and he says, does a bull cart, basically uh, a cart that's pulled by, by ox, oxen, um, and an accident. So the word was bull cart and accident mean anything to you. And he has a translator translating, and the, the pastor goes, yes, it does. 15 years ago, I had an accident on a bull cart where all the contents fell on my torso, and I've had physical pain for 15 years. And Zach goes, God's gonna heal you of that, and he was healed instantly. Hey, this is totally yeah. normal. Yeah, that deserves. Some of you are like, um, so what we were witnessing over and over again, eye problems, I mean, we were witnessing the power of God and what it means simply to be Christian. I just want you to know that. These are not abnormal, unusual stories. These are normal stories, and they're not just for India, they're for the Garden, they're for Long Beach, Seal Beach, Lakewood, they're for Los Angeles, Southern California, they're for us, and if anything we need to share with you, it's this, that God is real, he's real, he loves you, and he wants to empower you to do these things. And that's what we've learned in India. Um, I could tell you story after story after story of what, what God was doing um, in, uh, from our trip. I wanna tell a couple more. Um, it was very humbling for me because uh, I brought you know, 10 other people and all of them, um, none of them have preached here before, but they all had to share at some point along the way. Some of them preaching to 500 pastors about the ministry of the Spirit and God used them in powerful ways. Our team was incredible. The garden represented um, 
was represented really well by the other people that went. In fact, all the Rock Harbor pastors, the campus pastors, these guys are leading communities of around 4,000 people total. They said their highlight was watching our team lead and being prayed for by our team in one morning devotion. We just w- went around them and prayed. Their whole trip, they were with us the whole time. That was the highlight. God met with them, spoke words to them, brought healing to them, encouraged them for ministry. And that was just because we're doing what we've been doing this whole time. How amazing is that? It's amazing. Um, we went to a leper colony, and, I, and um, uh, I had the most profound spiritual experience I've ever had in my life. I mean, I had a radical encounter with God. I was so deeply moved. Um, I had a vision from the Lord. I, I was in deeply encouraged and moved. And, um, and I, I just have to say that um, we, will, we are gonna keep going to India as long as I'm leading this church. So I'm planting seeds. Let's, we're gonna go again next year. And I'd love to take anyone that wants to go um, that is willing to serve our brothers and sisters around the world. I wanna support church planting in India. You know, it would cost us $100 a month to support one pastor and his family to plant a church and sustain it. They, they live off of about $20 a month. Um, and Suresh actually said, I said, Suresh, what's the day? Somebody asked, what's the day in the life of a pastor? Like, well, he's like, he said, well, once he knows where his next meal is coming from and for, where it's go- for his, him and his family, then he, he goes and does the ministry. Once he knows where the next meal is coming from, then he has peace and he can do ministry. Do you think we can help him? I hope so. And I want to encourage you to jump into the garden. This is a great season for us so that we can give us away, give everything we have away. That's, if you want to know my, my heart for ministry, our philosophy of ministry, it's simply this. Whatever we have, we give it away. That's it. That's what Jesus does. He does that with power, right? Everything he has, he just gives it away. He empties himself, it says in Philippians chapter 2. So I encourage you, get involved, serve. Um, come on a trip with us. Next week, we're gonna have our Haiti team up here. We're gonna bless them and pray for them. We have a trip, uh, a group of people going to Haiti. I'm sure God's gonna do amazing things there. Um, we got to hang out with uh, a village uh, with about 100 women who are on prostitution. And uh, they're kind of forced into that or they're born into it and they have kids. This is actually the brothel. Uh, there's four different areas here that's separated by a sheet and cement floor, and that's where women, um, you know, service thir- up to 13 to 15 men as young as n- 10 years old uh, are, are stuck there, and, and Suresh in Harvest India pulls them out of prostitution, gives them jobs, um, and supports them sus- in a sustainable life. How amazing is that? We, we had orphanages that we support. We have... Um, obviously church planning, but uh, water wells. We, most of the ministry we got to be a part of was with uh, a group called the Delete, uh, which are the untouchables. So there's a caste system um, and you're born into it. And so we would be represented as, as white Americans, um, as upper cla- caste. And so whenever we would go into villages, m- some of them have never seen a white person before. Um, and so they would be taking pictures and it was just a big deal because everyone has cell phones. But they live off a dollar a day and we go in and we get to be a part of just um, recognizing that if, if we told the gospel in Telugu, their language, it would be that Jesus became an untouchable, right? Because that's the mindset that we have is that God beca- uh, emptied himself, he became poor, that we might be rich. And it's just amazing. So uh, less, I think it's like 1.3 billion people in, the, in, in India and less than 3% are Christian. So you're talking about a, a massive ministry there. So uh, I encourage you, be a part of it. Thanks for letting me share. It's 1210, I got some work to do. So if you have a Bible, go to Mark. Sound good? Sound good? Are we, are we awake? Are we here? All right. We are in a series called Encounter, uh, Finding God in the Ordinary. <coughs> and um, we're, we're looking at like, for example, this is a great il- illustration. When, what happens when you go from mountaintop experiences, like what I just got to, some of us experience in India, we're watching the power of God. What happens when you go from there and then come back home and, and, and you have a sick child, you have a ton of emails to get back to, uh, you, have, you have jet lag, you're exhausted, and you have Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then all of a sudden it's a new Sunday, and that experience is no longer here. When God meets you here, what happens on Tuesday and Wednesday? How do we live a vibrant spiritual life when we're stuck in traffic on the four or five? How do we learn how to navigate this spiritual life where it's physical and material and spiritual all at the same time? How is God interested in the mundane? 
mundane? Is God interested in our nap schedules for our kids, in our, in our nine to five jobs? Where do we learn how to cultivate a spiritual life if most of our life is not happening at church or when we have a devotion with oceans in the background and candlelight, um, you know, in quiet, dark, solitude spaces? Do you know what I'm talking about? So this this series, uh, does that make sense to anyone or is that just me talking? Okay, it's for me. I'm gonna preach for myself. Um, so, which is normal, by the way. I just do that usually. But uh, I, wanna, I wanna bring our church, to the, like move our church into a direction that just recognizes that there's, all of life is sacred. All of life is spiritual. And what you do matters. Where you live matters. And God is very interested in the ordinariness of your life. And he's, he wants to bring and, and, and ignite that with a vibrant awareness of his presence. Does that make sense? So as we looked at stories in the scriptures um, of people encountering God, we're, we're asking the question, what does that mean for us today? And there's a story I want to read today um, in Mark's gospel. And I've shared this story before, and so it, it's, not an old ser- it's an old sermon I've preached years ago here. But this is really relevant for me, um, considering what I got to witness. So let's read this story together. And all I want to do is, is give us a story, give us context and character development, and then ask, uh, give you some of my observations, and then we're just going to sit probably in silence um, and, and, and pray, and that's it. Sound good? So glad to be back with you guys. You guys are awesome. Um, Verse 40 of chapter one in the Gospel of Mark. Um, Just for those of you that are new, uh, the the primary message of Jesus, if you're you're checking this church out or if you're wondering what the message of Jesus is, it's the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus preached that. That was his message. Preached more about the kingdom than anything else. And what that means is uh, God's, the reality of God's existence, the reign of God, the rule of God is available for everyone here and now. And that was seen as good news. And what is, what's meant by that is that the way God intended life to be in the first place is available for you. A life marked by healing, wholeness, shalom, peace, justice, forgiveness, new hearts, new spirits, the Holy Spirit, um, a life marked by all those things is available for you here and now. You could say that the kingdom is an environment for human flourishing. And that Jesus comes and not only um, talks about this as a reality, he demonstrates it and embodies it. He embodies this very concept. And so he goes around preaching and then demonstrating exactly what he believes. Um, and that's what we're called into as followers of Jesus. So uh, it, this is the beginning of Mark's gospel. Um, verse 40, it says this, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. So this is one particular encounter of one particular man's uh, encounter with God and Jesus. And so I wanna give us some context. First of all, first century context, leprosy was a difficult disease that was diagnosed and considered. It kind of grouped 72 different um, skin disorders into what was called ancient leprosy. Leprosy is a, a terrible skin disease uh, that is, is really where most of us are immune today, but there are parts of the population around the world where you don't have access to medicine and you aren't immune to it. And leprosy is a terrible disorder. You eventually lose um, feeling. And, and, and so as a result, you get sores and cuts and things happen to you and your limbs begin to fall apart. And you saw in a picture of a man with no fingers and no toes, they, they also have open sores that they really just can't feel. And leprosy was it is and was a terrible condition in ancient Palestine. And so at the time of Jesus, what you also have to know is that leprosy was, had all sorts of superstition, superstition built around it. If you were diagnosed with leprosy um, in first century Palestine, you were considered cursed by God. It was seen as divine punishment for sin or impurity that was in your life. It was your fault that you had that condition. God gave it to you because you were a terrible person. The third thing you need to know is that it came with all sorts of religious and social implications in Jesus's context. So what we need to know is that according to the Old Testament, leprosy um, could, was um, only cleansed by a priest in the tabernacle or the temple. And what that meant is if you were announced or pronounced 
unclean, that came with all sorts of implications. Number one, you were excluded from temple worship. You couldn't worship God. You were spiritually isolated from the rest of the community. You were socially isolated. You had to live outside of the camp, which meant that you had to leave your family, your occupation, your your life as you knew it, and live outside of the city and the temple's safety and security. So you were socially isolated. But you also lost your health you lost your reputation because they saw this as a divine punishment. You lost um, your family and you lost your life so you were physically, mentally, socially, emotionally, spiritually isolated from everyone else because of that condition. It's a serious deal. There were 613 laws in the Old Testament that were designed to keep the people of God holy. And the primary way you were holy in first century Palestine in Jewish context was to be separated from anything that was unclean. So cleanliness was next to godliness. To be connected to God, to be right with God, was to be clean, pure, and righteous. And leprosy was a physical condition that you carried this connotation of being unclean. You were diagnosed, you were pronounced, you were proclaimed, you were separated as unclean. And remember the Pharisees during the time of Jesus, that was a popular religious group. They added 2,000 more, about 1,600 more, excuse me, laws to the 613 laws that all had to do with being separated from those things. It was a classification system that separated uh, the the best of the best, the holy, the pure from everyone else. And the, the word Pharisee means separated ones. And so what you have built into the story is a condition that came with all sorts of implications. A man who was a leper was seen as unclean from the rest of community. This would become his very identity. In Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45, we read about, um, in those two chapters, chapter 13 and 14, we read about laws given to those that were considered lepers. And look at what this one says. It says in verse 45, anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes. They They have to keep their hair unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out when they're coming into towns, unclean, unclean. As long as they have this disease, they must remain unclean. They must live alone, and they must live outside the camp. So in context, this man would have been dirty, would have had long hair, would have smelled funny, would have looked deformed because of the condition of leprosy, but also would have been seen as cursed by God, forced into isolation, and anyone that's experienced loneliness knows how difficult it is to feel and live alone. And whenever he walked into town, had to announce to everyone the very condition and stigma he carried on his skin, unclean, 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 as he walked 50 paces from everyone else, no human touch, no human contact, probably just glanced over with stares from people who would say, this is your fault, this is your fault. Josephus, a famous Jewish historian said, lepers are in no way differing from a corpse. Ancient rabbis around the time of Jesus said, to be cured of leprosy is to be raised from the dead. It was a serious condition. Now, let's talk about this this person because this story happened in human history. It's in all of the Gospels. So at some point in human history, a man with leprosy in that context came to Jesus. And I want you to think about that. I want you to close your eyes if you can and imagine this as a person, a human being, a brother or sister of yours, a friend, a cousin, a distant relative. I want you to think about that context and the type of person that he was because you have to think of what it would take for him to not go to a temple, not go to a priest, but to go to Galilee to a man named Jesus, not to announce his uncleanliness and, uh, and protect everyone from being given the stigma themselves, w- worse, contaminating them with this disease, but goes to them. And I want you to think about what was in his mind because day, week after week, he would probably have gone to the temple. Week after week, he would probably have gone to the priest where he was given a series of rituals where he would hope to be announced and proclaimed clean, but it didn't 
ever receive that word over his life. And, and I want you to think week after week as he goes from outside the camp into the camp, maybe early in the morning so he would avoid as many people as possible. As he walks into town announcing unclean, unclean with fingerless hands, with maybe a hoarse voice, parts of his face missing, hair covering his face, eyes looking down, announcing the very identity he's inherited, seen as a curse. Why, God? Why me? Why am I unclean? A man who at one point probably had a job, probably worked with his hands. A man who might have had a child who wasn't able to hold this baby boy, watched him grow up from a distance. A man who had a wife who he wasn't allowed to kiss or live with whose own reputation was tarnished because of his physical condition. A man, a person, who dealt with the unlikely fortitude, the the life that was designated for him outside of the walls. A man who suffered greatly. What did he think? What was he thinking to risk punishment for breaking Mosaic law? What was he thinking? What was he thinking as he, he in, in the Gospel of Matthew, it was a crowd. It was just after the Sermon on the Mount where this man confronts Jesus. I mean, there's a crowd of people. <clears throat> he doesn't announce his presence. What was he thinking? I mean, if you were speaking over and over again, calling out the very word that became your identity. I want you to think, I mean, what are the words that you carry (coughs) that are your identities? What are the words that you carry in your life that aren't beloved, beautiful, child of God, holy, set apart? What are the words? Some of us carry abortion, divorce, porn, addict. We carry these words, and here's this man, he's announcing his word. What was he thinking as he approached Jesus? I I was thinking about that. The desperation this man had to have. The desperation to to pull up to Jesus and risk contaminating this holy man. I, I wonder if he was thinking about the possibilities. And this isn't in the text, guys, so this is me just reading this story from a different perspective. I hope you're okay with that. I wonder if he was thinking about the possibilities. I mean, a man so desperate. He goes, and he's just, he's thinking of all the what ifs. I do this all the time. What if, what if? What if we won the lotto? What if, you know, what would you do? I wonder what he's thinking. God, what if he is a man of God? What, What if I can get close enough? And I could, I, 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 would, I would just, I would fall on my knees. And maybe, maybe he's thinking about this. Maybe what he's thinking about is touching his boy. Or maybe what he's thinking about is his girl, his wife, holding her again. Maybe he's thinking about worshiping with his brothers and sisters who are also sons and daughters of Abraham. Maybe he's thinking about bringing sacrifices to God. Maybe he's thinking about working again with his hands. Maybe, I don't know what, but he's thinking about possibilities. If I could just get close enough. If I could just, just say to him. If I could just say, if, if you are willing you can make me clean. And I wonder if there was a pause. Shock. The crowd looking at the man they probably walked past multiple times. That, that was the man that you protected your kids from. He, when he, whenever he was around, you walked on the other side of the street. 50 paces. The man that you thought, thank God I'm not like him. It's his fault. He's a drunk. He deserves it. He's probably, he's probably going to use that money for drugs. He's, he's lazy. Right? I mean, we all have those people in our life. Let's just be honest. Keep your head down. I don't have any money. It's all on my credit card. It's in a bank. I have money. I just don't want to give it to you. That's what I'm saying. The crowd, maybe they're thinking, if this is a man of God, he would know he's at risk of being marked. This is a moment where Jesus can lose his entire ministry and he will be identified as a leper because he's coming into contact with a leper. 
the crowd singing. If, if he was a holy man, he would have he known this man was going to approach him. If he was from God, he would have known that this man is cursed. He is not close to God because those who are close to God are separated from those kinds of people. What were they thinking? We don't know. But maybe there was a pause. Maybe that man in his desperation looked with eyes glazed, waiting for Jesus to say, and what the scriptures say is that Jesus was indignant. Why was he annoyed or angered? Do you think he was angered because he's questioning whether this man knows he's willing or not? Of course I'm willing. Do you think he's angered maybe by the system that caused this man to find the presence of God outside of the temple which was designed for the presence of God to alleviate the pain and suffering that this man experienced week in, week out. The, the priest who is designed to represent God and announce cleanliness is now the man who's just reminding this man of his false identity, the identity that keeps him from his family, from his life, from his kids, from his community, from God. Jesus was probably turning tables in his heart saying there isn't a classification system that says there's us and them, the poor and the rich, the men and the women, the blessed and the, those that aren't blessed. There's none of that because I'm here. But the other word that's probably more effective because it's connected to the same Greek word is Jesus was filled with compassion. I think that's a more appropriate word. And if you're new to the church, you're probably used to an angry Jesus. You're probably used to a Jesus that has divided those that are in and out, those that are blessed and not blessed, those that are pure or not pure. You've been told by maybe the church, the system that's designed to represent the presence of God on earth as the hands and feet of Jesus, you've been told that you are something other than beloved daughter, son of the most high God. But Jesus was filled with compassion, which is a Hebrew word. It's, it's Greek here, but it's connected to this Hebrew word, which in best translation means womb-ish. It's like the feeling a mother has for their unborn child when this, you find out you're pregnant and everything about your life becomes about keeping this thing safe, protected, nurtured, and loved. It means to feel deeply, which is ironic because leprosy, you lose the ability to feel at all. But Jesus, <laughs> he was filled with compassion. He was filled. He was so deeply moved from the inside when he saw his brother asking if he was willing that he couldn't help but stand there and pass by. He couldn't help and say, I don't have time for you. You're not in the agenda. Sorry, I've got emails to get to. He couldn't help but say, not a word first. He reaches out his hand. He touches him. You see, a word would have been just enough. It would have been perfect. A word would have announced him as clean. He would have been healed. That's all he needed. But that's not what the scriptures say because you know what? The gospel of Mark wants you to know, the author wants you to know that what our God is like is our God is a God who goes way beyond the word. He reaches down and he touches the untouchable. He marks himself with the curse. He enters into the isolation. He steps into the pain. He steps and touches the deformity. He goes right to where it hurts. And he says, I am willing. I am willing. I am willing. Be clean. Clean. The word that gave this man his life back. A word that let him touch his boy and hold his wife and work with his hands and worship God because he too was a son of Abraham. Clean was the new identity. You see, oftentimes we get stuck up on, on the problems that need to be fixed in our life and this man had a problem, leprosy, but what Jesus doesn't just do, he doesn't just heal him of a physical condition, he restores him back to life. Wholeness is what Jesus comes to give us. Wholeness is restoration of all things. Wholeness is what this particular encounter is about. Wholeness is what happens when we meet 
with a willing God who is filled with compassion. Jesus says, be clean and gives this man back his life. So this is an encounter. This is one encounter of, um, of one man's journey of faith. What does this story mean for us? What does it mean for you in your journey with Jesus, in your journey of faith? First, I think the question is, do you believe in a God who is this kind? Do you believe in a God who is filled with compassion, who is willing, who goes beyond just the word, but actually comes and touches you where you need it the most? Do you believe in this God? Because if there's anything I can do for our church, it's simply to remind you that this is who our God is. Amen? A couple of observations. God is bigger than your circumstance. How do you see this here? Well, God was way bigger than leprosy. Would you agree? God, is, God actually cares about your problems. I was thinking about how does this relate? Well, here's what I was thinking. Um, and again, I'm preaching to myself, so if you get anything, great. Um, but this is what I got. Most of my prayer life is really talking to God about my problems. You know, like, uh, it's answer, answer this prayer. I, gotta, I have to preach again next week. Got to answer that prayer. I have to meet with this. But my wife is this. My son's like, so it's like filled. I look at my journal. It's filled with all sorts of problems and confession of sin. And, and I realized, actually, God cares about problems. Do you know that? Do you know that God cares about your problems? Do you believe that? He does. He cares about them. But he's bigger than them. He cares about them, and he's bigger than them. So the first thing I realize is that this man comes to God, comes to Jesus with his problems. And it's, the question is, God, are, are you willing? And Jesus clearly says he's willing. Would you agree? So I guess the first thing is that God is bigger than our problems. He cares about them, but he's more interested in who, who you are becoming than the problems that you're facing. That's what this faith journey is about. Second thing I've noticed in the story um, is how much courage the leper had. How much courage did the leper have to break Mosaic law, to not announce himself as unclean, but to fall before the, the mercy of Jesus and plead with God to show up? He was full of courage or desperation or he, his inhibitions were gone. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I have problems, I'm not necessarily full of that much courage where I'm outing myself in front of people. Do you know what I'm talking about? And so here's this man's issue and he's so desperate he just he goes before God and I think for many of us we have all sorts of problems um, but we we're not willing to have the courage to actually reveal them to God or to other people and so as I was thinking about problems we have what we do when we suffer is we isolate don't we nobody understands nobody will get this so we isolate I mean, maybe we're on social media and so we numb out that pain and so we feel connected, but at the end of the day, we're still lonely. And that's a plague of our generation, by the way. Is loneliness is more present than anything else. But what this leper does is he breaks down the walls and he says, look, I'm not gonna care about those things. I need healing for this thing. And he lets Jesus know and he lets his brothers and sisters know. So if some of you are here, and you're dealing with circumstances, and you, right now you don't have the courage, but I want to pray that you would have the courage to be exposed. Somebody just told me, and I'm going to mess it up, but he, they said, um, this was at a women's thing on Friday night. Sh um, I can't even, shame, something about shame. Oh, it was so good, and I'm jet lagged, so I get that free, free pass, okay? But it was basically like, sh um, shame in the presence of empathy. There's no place for shame in the presence of empathy. No, no place for shame in the presence of empathy. When you tell a brother or sister what you're struggling with and they're empathetic towards you, there's no shame, right? Courage of the leper. Third, does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, suffering. The other thing I notice is suffering, that we do tend to isolate when we suffer, but not only do we isolate, but we question the character of God when we suffer, don't we? 
we get confused. What, what happens to me is when life reveals to us or to me something other than I hope for, when circumstances are beyond our control or, or um, when we suffer, uh, we often question what we know to be true. So whenever my wife was suffering or my boy was suffering, I said, God, how on earth can you allow this to happen? I started bringing all this to God, like, why won't you show up? Where are you? It's almost like I have to say, God, aren't you, are, are you willing to heal my boy, are you, are you there? And what, what we see in the scripture is that Jesus is full of compassion and he is willing. And so when you are suffering, don't question what you know is true. Don't make, it, don't make that the fight. Rather, fight for God to show up. Be with him in it and see where he is. Because if there's anything, it's just over and over again, Jesus reveals that God is really kind and he likes you, <laughs> right? And as John Peters from the UK would say, Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. And if you can't say that, then you don't know the gospel at all because he loves you, but I, I am his favorite. And um, you're also his favorite, so some of you don't get that, but figure it out later. <laughs> So we gotta believe in that God. So that's suffering. Let's not just isolate, but, in, but also remember what is true. And then um, I just, I have two things I wanna pray for, and that's it. Not a clean way to close, but this is it. Two things I wanna pray for. Loneliness. Can we just come out and say we're lonely if you are lonely? If you're struggling with loneliness? You know, you called into faith in Jesus. Do you know that you're not called into a me, myself, and I salvation? You're called into a family and we mess it up all the time, but community starts with you. If you expect to go into a community group and have all your needs met, you're already missing the point. You go and serve, watch your needs get met. Every time, those that are selfless are filled. We have a condition of spiritual introspection. It's, it's all about me, and what we see is it's not about you. It's what God's trying to do with this whole world, and you're invited into it. And so some of you are lonely and you're isolated. I wanna pray for you that God would heal you and God would bring you into a family so that you may be known and that you may know others. And that's good news. We'll pray for you in just a second. I'll have you come forward. But this is the only thing I wanted to share today, believe it or not. There's a lot I shared. This is what I wanted to share with you. I had the most profound spiritual experience in India. I've been to India four times and my life has significantly changed every time I've gone. The first time I went into ministry, not going to seminary, not going to get a PhD. God's like, you gotta learn to live the gospel, not just talk about it. Second time, God said, plant a church in Long Beach. The third time, God said, preach to the nations. And I, I didn't think I was a preacher and God confirmed it in India. Some of you know that story. And this time, God did something radical in me. We were at a leper colony after this conference and there were uh, 68 lepers in this village, and they lived with their families. And I, wa I had preached this sermon on le the leper. I was asked to preach it um, in London at a church, and so I, I just, it was in my mind all week long, and one of the last days we go, and there's that man who didn't have fingers, and I saw him, and I was startled because I saw the leper in the scriptures. I saw a man, skinny, with glasses, open sores, no fingers and toes, with joy, a smile that you could, couldn't replace. And when I saw him, I, I heard in my heart, um, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then we went into this church service where there were about 50 people and they were worshiping God and the pastor was leading the church. He's a leper himself, has no fingers and he was playing a drum, leading them in worship. And they worshiped, they worshiped. And when I saw them, I heard Jesus say over and over again, I am willing, I am willing, I am willing. I just looked at all these individuals. I just saw God's loving compassion pouring out. And I was overwhelmed. I have been here four times. I've seen poverty. I've been to Mexico, the Philippines. I've been all over. And I was overwhelmed. Something took a hold of me. I had to run outside. I ran outside. I, I fell to my knees literally in this like creek area, this ditch. And I just wept. I wept uncontrollably. My ribs were hurting. It was just snot. It was not pretty. <laughs> I, I, pulled my, I tried to pull myself together, kept crying, glasses on, snot going, uh, 25 minutes or so, and then I hop into the car. We're all in one car with our team, and 
I'm just trying to avoid talking because I know I'm just going to lose. I'm just, we have to drive an hour back in this tiny car and there's 12 of us. And um, Zach who was like, hey, what's going on? I'm like, if I talk about it, and just as soon as I said, if I talk about it, I just start crying for another half an hour. I just weep and weep and weep snot. I'm in Zach's lap, snot all over his lap. <laughs> Sorry for the graphic details. I said in my heart, God, what is this about? What is this for? He said, this is it. It's just for this. And I wept. I said, and then I felt um, God say to me, my church is full of spiritual lepers. I'm like, what do you mean? My church has forgotten how to feel for the people that I feel deeply for. There are callous hearts. There are stone hearts in my church. And I care very deeply for the suffering, the lost, and the hurting all over the world. And I felt the, the heart of God. And I simply want to say, if we do anything as a church, it has to start with a heart of compassion. It has to start with us being moved by God, being moved from within to do something. Not because of religious spirit, not because we have to, not because we're, we're gonna earn salvation, that's not how it works, but because God is desperate to do something here and now through this generation, and it's gonna start with hearts being poured out, broken, weeping with snot and the ugliness for the sake of the people God cares most about. And if you're here and you're not feeling anymore, if your heart is that man that you just pass by because you have their story in your head, because you've seen it too many times. Well, I believe God wants to give you a new heart. God wants to fill you with compassion again. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.